Bernie Sanders throws in the towel in the Democratic primary, the Supreme Court throws in the towel on democracy, Trump's number one on Facebook, and the rest of us, including small business owners, are just trying to survive. All this and more this week on the Amateur Hour Political Podcast. Welcome to the Amateur Hour Political Podcast. I'm John. I'm Brandon. And I'm Walt. This week we have a special guest, Patrick Hayes from San Luis Obispo, California. Pat's a small business owner, and we're going to talk to him about the impact of COVID-19 on his business and, and some of his thoughts on politics. Small businesses obviously have been pretty impacted. Uh, employment, unemployment numbers um, have been going through the roof. We're at about 10 million as of last week, I think. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Walt, did the next round of numbers come out tomorrow? It's either tomorrow morning or Friday morning. I don't I think so that means that today's Wednesday, right? Yeah, I guess it would be tomorrow morning then. Cool. It's a timeless time that we were all living in here. My aunt described it by from her sons. They they're calling it basically ground, Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. Pretty much. Yeah. The only problem with that is that uh, all the people who die every day from COVID don't get to relive it. That's a good point. Just like the Groundhog. That's a great movie. Okay. Uh, so. Let's start out by talking to Pat. Pat owns Dr. Kane's Comics, which is a comic book and game and other assorted paraphernalia. Uh, it makes it sound like you sell drugs. Yeah. He doesn't sell drugs. Not out of the shop. <laughs> and uh, he also is a uh, pretty integral part of the uh, music scene. He's worked as a music promoter and done a bunch of um, social media stuff for a lot of the bars and, and venues downtown for a long time here in San Luis Obispo. So, um, pretty connected to the small business scene uh, in a number of different ways. So I thought that if you wanted to um, kind of tell us what your business normally is like, and then um, also kind of how it's been affected uh, by COVID just sort of generally, that'd be a good place to start. Well, uh, to start with, <laughs> it is a comic shop, mostly kids books, a little bit of games and tourist trinkets, that kind of thing. Some pretty cool t-shirts that are San Luis Obispo based and things like that. Um, a lot of our business is uh, walk-up business because we are downtown San Luis Obispo paying downtown San Luis Obispo rents to get all those downtown San Luis Obispo feet into the shop. So as you can imagine, being forced to being closed has not been really healthy for the shop. Um, on a normal week, uh, we might have a quiet Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday is new comic book day and we have a very high volume of people that come down every single week, pick up all their new comics. Uh, it's kind of abnormal for I'm used to having high weekends uh, in other work that I've been at. So this is the first time I've had like a, your peak being in the middle of the week, but it's cool. People come down on their lunch breaks. Uh, when a hot title is out, people will be waiting outside the shop before I open it because they want to make sure they get a copy, that kind of thing. Of course, there's none of that going on right now. It is dead. Business has come to an almost complete stop. Still, we have a little bit of online business. We have a little bit of taking care of some of our subscribers still but there's just no business. We're non-essential, which is fair, I suppose. And you also had your entire customer base effectively be sent home as well, which is not, not super helpful in times like this. Yeah, kind of a double hit in San Luis with uh, Cal Poly, you know, switching to online learning and asking students not to return to San Luis Obispo. That's a pretty big chunk of my customer base also. Uh, usually that happens in the summer, but it is replaced by an influx of tourist business. 
that's not happening right now, of course. So uh, that's going to be an interesting one to see how that affects us long term when we see when the schools are coming back and what, what happens with that. And so do you stay open at all during this time or have you? No, I'm not allowed to, to be open. Your doors? Uh, okay, yeah. yeah, the city has, has asked everybody not to. I imagine that they have something in place to deal with people who are. They have a hotline uh, to report people, which is oh, insidious, but that's okay. Um, I know that other cities are doing things like turning off water and power citations sometimes. So you're really not allowed to have the business going uh, out of the storefront. Have you thought about moving into gun sales so that you could stay open as an essential business? Yeah, we looked at that. Apparently, because we're in commie California, there's some licensing. I don't, I don't know. It's ridiculous. Maybe if you required uh, universal background checks to buy comics. We do on some. It's actually easier to buy a gun than it is to buy certain adult comic book titles, <laughs> which have to be kept away from the children's eyes and all that other stuff. So, so you know, I've spent some time in your comic book shop. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of, um, people just kind of wander in and they seem to know you, you seem to know them. It seems like a lot of your customers are, are repeat customers, even if they're people who are just kind of coming in to browse the shelves. Have you been hearing from those people? Like, are those people sort of just waiting this out? Do you anticipate your business picking up again as we, you know, when we reopen the country on Easter or whatever's happening? Uh, do you, I mean, do you think that you have a, a unique, um, like possibility of retaining a lot of your customer base when you know you are able to open or do you feel like you're sort of losing business that you're not gonna be able to get back i don't know uh so the comics industry we had opted to remain uh receiving new comics even though we were going to be closed uh just by the nature of the business we have our subscribers are a big chunk of it and it's kind of our bedrock even when sales are slow we have enough of our subscribers that'll kind of get us through anything so it's really important to me to take care of those people and as you can imagine with the collector mentality you can't have number one two three four six seven eight nine you've got to have that five so man if five comes out and you're a comic shop you've got to have five even if you're not open so we ordered these things uh the stuff that would have been arriving right now in december it's a three-month advance. Uh, we can adjust things as we get closer, but not all things and not, not close enough to make a difference. So the first week that we were closed following California's shelter and home order, uh, we received an order that we had no way of selling all of the stuff. You know, we, we could sell the 20% that was subscriber stuff. Um, we'd elected to keep doing that. We were trying to figure out a financial way to make that work. It was terrifying as all hell. As it became more clear that we were going to be closed for a long time, we were just about to reevaluate that whole situation when the distributor who has a monopoly on comics, there's only one, uh, decided to not receive any new comics from the publishers. And that kind of snowballed into the publisher saying, okay, we're just not going to produce any right now. It's basically on pause. I don't know how long that's going to last, but the two primary publishers are Marvel and DC, which are owned by AT&T and Disney. They're pushing back multi-hundred million dollar movies by a couple of months. I think they're okay with pushing back 30,000 copies of a couple of comics for a minute. So when they decide, when the country comes back online, <laughs> when we're allowed to be back in shops and do normal retail, uh, presumably publishing will resume. I think that's the best thing for my industry, for everybody. It makes it hard on the biggest corporations. Uh, they have to suck it up and take the hit. But Disney and AT&T can probably afford to do it a little bit better than the guys writing and drawing it or the guy delivering it or the guy selling it. So hopefully that's what will happen and they'll be able to maintain a large majority of uh, their customer base. And then so will I. So here's to hoping. 
You had mentioned that uh, your online sales have slowed a little bit. Have you, I, I was kind of thinking that maybe that would be one place where you could keep, you know, moving your business along. Cause I know you sell a lot of stuff on, you know, eBay, like yeah. collector stuff and everything. Have you, have you seen any indication that as we get sort of more entrenched in our, our quarantines that that will begin to pick up? No. Um, there was a pretty big burst of sales on the last week that we were open. Um, in fact, the last day was pretty good. People wisely deciding like, oh, now's a good time to pick up that 1500 page book and maybe dig into it. Um, but since then, part of the problem is that every comic book store in the country put all their stuff on eBay because they all have to pay rent. So supply, demand, you guys know where this is going. Uh, now there's a billion copies of Fantastic 448 out there online. So they're they're not selling quite as quickly as they used to be. I used to have some pretty reliable things that I knew I could put on eBay and they would sell within a week or two. Uh, and that stuff's just sitting there. That's not necessarily a problem. Um, it's still a good thing. I don't like selling on eBay as a matter of course, just because having cool comics in the shop is a lure for people. Um, not a ton of shops really have good back issues and things like that. They tend to put them on eBay where you're going to get more money for the good stuff. I like having those kind of special ones in just so somebody walks in and goes like, Oh damn, that's here. It's right in front of me. I have to. So I don't, I don't know if that's going to change as time goes by. I think that we're kind of stuck in that. The distributor also is not delivering. Uh, they, they do a thing called direct ship, which pretty much destroys your margin. Uh, when you get the direct ship from them because they're not doing a regular ship anymore that they can just kind of put everything together. Uh, they, they'll send you from individual warehouses. So without new product with everybody with the same stock, putting it online at the same time and a customer base that is running out of money in a hurry. Uh, it's, I think that's why it's slowed down. People able to get their, these same comics um, on places like Amazon right now. Do, will they, will they shift away from, from the, brick and mortar businesses to buy online in the, in the near term, or do you guys have some sort of exclusivity on the merchandise? Um, not so there is an exclusivity on the single issue comics, you know, the comic that you think of buying at the grocery store or whatever um, that is solely through diamond, the books, the trade paperbacks, things like that. Those are carried more widely and almost all the publishers and uh, have something to do with Amazon at some point. Um, I don't know. So we also had a, a brief little bump <laughs> the week after when Amazon suddenly went from two-day shipping to, hey, we'll get that to you at the end of the month. I had several people buy things uh, that they were honestly scoping out on Amazon, and they told me as much. So that helped a little bit. I don't, I don't think – I can't see – I don't know. It, Amazon won't replace uh, brick-and-mortar comic book shops because we're already kind of a niche uh, product. So without being able to ship that thing real quick and half of the draw, not to sound like an arrogant person about it, is coming in and talking to the person that knows what's up with comics and can tell you, oh, you like this, then check out this, that, the other thing. Beyond that, there's not really much of a function for buying a book at a comic shop instead of on Amazon or something like that, other than being able to look at it. You know, Are you more of a Marvel or DC person? I don't know. I grew up mostly a Marvel zombie, um, but in the last few years, when my son was a couple years younger, uh, he's nine now, he started playing the Batman Arkham games, and uh, oh, he yeah. just got totally wrapped up in Batman and enamored in Batman. And that kind of led me into a new phase of being a comic book fan where I've started to appreciate the kind of anthropological uh, elements of it and what the heroes mean, what the icons mean, why kids are drawn to these things and how these stories repeat and how I think it's turning into our modern myths rather than just, you know, a, a serialized adventure from the forties. I don't have know. You, so yeah, both <laughs> it's changed. Have you been able to uh, apply for and, or take advantage of any of the SBA loans up for grabs? 
Yeah, we, uh, we put in for um, the disaster relief SBA loan right away, and we were advised to fill it out again because there's a new streamlined one that takes pretty much a lunch break to get through. Uh, it was real quick. They obviously caught up to what they needed to be at. Um, they took bank account and routing numbers. There's a program, EIDL, that it gives you an advance on the loan so that you can take care of things right away, but we haven't seen anything yet. I don't know what this next step is. We haven't been uh, moved to a lender or if it's being done just by SBA, which seems impossible. So we're, we're just kind of in the, the waiting pattern. It's very similar to um, unemployment right now. Um, I, <laughs> in order to afford owning my own business, my side job uh, is playing music. And I, one of the gigs was 1099 last year. So supposedly I'll be able to get unemployment through that. But California's unemployment system hasn't caught up to that in the same way that the SBA folks haven't quite caught up to pushing the money out yet. Uh, fortunately, we have really cool landlords um, that are also kind of stuck in the same position we are, which is if we're closed, what are you going to do? No one's going to move into an empty business. Um, so they've been working with us, and I think we'll be able to survive all that. But I can imagine that uh, people who are, have more tenuous situations or less on hand money to kind of hold on for a second or places that are, you know, the facilities are the largest part of their investment. Um, I, I can't imagine how they're surviving right now. Did you go through a community bank? Our local bank advised us to go through SBA first uh, to get the approval taken care of and everything. And then to then they'll match you with a lender is what it sounds like. But we yeah. just haven't hit that yet. I don't know if it's different because of the, the uh, EIDL or if that is just a separate program that they're packing onto it. So I, I've heard a lot of different things. I don't really... I, I don't know. I don't think there's one uniform rule that's been applied. So. That's part of what I think the problem is. That everybody's kind of scrambling to figure out an ad hoc system, uh, and it's not its not happening in a hurry. Well, fortunately, there will be plenty of uh, good IG oversight. We know that. So Yeah, yeah. I've just seen some statistics that are like crazy how much people are, are buying books. Like there's been a huge surge in people buying books. It's just, you know, it's probably really difficult for them to find you. Yeah, we're, it's, it's a little tougher, and the, and the stock on hand is limited. Uh, part of my shop is really small. Um, I have no idea how many square feet. John probably has a better idea, honestly. Uh, but it's we're pretty one-to-one. You know, We sell it and we reorder it kind of thing. We don't keep much stock on hand, so I don't have like 50 volumes of a given book that's popular. And I don't know. Like I said, the earlier, right when we got shut down, there was a pretty big surge of people doing that kind of shopping. Uh, but since then, it's kind of cooled, and I don't have an online shop or anything. And it, I could do a Shopify thing, but again, with having like one copy of each book, it wouldn't do me a whole ton of good. Maybe you should start a comic book podcast. It's a thought. <laughs> it's a thought. You could just read comic books to people and describe what was happening in each frame. Yeah, you already have subscribers. That's the hardest part. Yeah. True. I'll, I'll look into that. My descriptive powers are not really good. so. <laughs> but if you whispered it, it could be like ASMR comics. So you, you said you, you, you've you been working uh, you know, in, in the past as a kind of a promoter for, for, for bands. Obviously, you're working with, with venues, bars in, in, in the area that are obviously not being able to open. What are you hearing from the owners of these other businesses in terms of how they're managing through this um, and who they're kind of, kind of working with to basically get through this time? Uh, there was a lot of wrangling with the uh, local authorities, I suppose, to see exactly what the rules were going to be on food delivery and things like that. Uh, restaurants cannot be open. They are allowed to do curbside pickup. They are allowed to do walk-in ordering and pickup, but they have to make sure that there's not people in the restaurants. So, you know, the places that serve food have put up the, you know, 
put everything up, cleared out the space, made it open, made it very not attractive, no place to sit, no place to gather, uh, get your stuff and go kind of vibe. Um, mostly fear though, based on time, you know, um, a bar is, uh, a money machine when it's running, but it's a huge damn pit when it's not. So, uh, these guys are, I would not want to be in that position right now, but I don't, I don't know what their, their long-term plans are. I don't know if there is a good long-term plan for a bar. Um, the folks that I work for, uh, own several and it's just across the board when everything's shut down, there's nothing they can do. Do you, do you believe that there's going to be a quick return to normal or this is a new normal? A little bit of both, I guess. I mean, the countries that were hit the hardest by SARS and things like that made some adjustments, and they were also quick to adjust to this and quick to figure out a way to make sure that things could continue under some semblance of normalcy without having to put their entire society on a pause. So I imagine we'll end up with some things like that. Maybe some of the distance learning will actually catch on. Maybe people will figure out the whole, you know, meeting could have been an email thing. Turns out it could have been a text message. So uh, those kind of changes I can see happening. I don't think there's going to be a lot of fear coming back. I think that uh, just seeing the way that California has handled the curve and everything will give people the hope that these are the right things to do and that these things do work unless they push hard the idea of like, hey, nothing happened. Why do we have to do all that? But nothing you can do to fight that kind of stupidity. We're all going to wear masks and the term beer goggles is going to take on different meaning. I'm a little worried about the mask thing. Um, are you supposed to have a hole for your beard in it or does it just kind of flatten the beard out? I don't know. I'm not really excited about that aspect. But. For our listeners, you cannot see Patrick. Uh, I, I think I should just point out that if you were to give him an elastic strap and then he were to pull his beard up to his eyes, he could cinch it around his face and be completely protected. Did you guys see the pictures of people with their makeshift masks that were going around Twitter this week? Yeah. I saw a couple of them. So good. My favorite was the woman. I don't know if you guys saw this one, but she had a party hat, like one of those little party cone hats over her face. And she was, it looked like a beak, uh, you know, like a drunken unicorn. And she was wandering around the grocery store like that. It was pretty good. Chelsea Handler posted a, a, a picture of her repurposing one of her undergarments as, as a mask. That was quite hilarious. That was uh, probably from a couple of years ago, not during COVID. To be fair. <laughs> so, I guess my last question uh, about the way that this has kind of affected small business in our area here, Pat, is uh, what are other musicians doing? Um, you know, people who have been playing, uh, like some of our friends, um, you know, guys like the Turkey Buzzards and stuff like that, guys who make their living playing, you know, four bars a week, you know, four nights a week at bars and stuff. Have you heard from those guys? I've been pretty hermetic and, and <laughs> slammed with work. So, Bits and pieces. I know uh, everybody I know is doing a either a podcast or a podcast or a podcast. No, uh, they're all doing Facebook live streams, Instagram live streams of shows and putting out their, their Venmos and, and their Patreons and everything else and trying to pull it together. And that's, I hope that works short term, but long term, that's not going to fly because people are going to run out of money and people aren't going to be able to sit every Friday night and pay 20 different artists that are, you know, people that they love and really want to support, but they can't when they're staying at home all day and not working too. So that yeah. will will dry up eventually. We're sort of at the point where not only are we, you know, losing business, uh, small businesses losing business, but the rest of us also, you know, in many cases aren't working, so we don't have the money to keep those things going. And and you know, I mean, there's like a lot of messages out there of like goodwill and you know people donating and helping people helping each other out. 
and you know trying to shop locally when we maybe didn't do that before or something like that but i feel like at some point you know like it doesn't matter what the demand is like if you just don't have you know what you need to to get what you are demanding then you know everybody sort of loses and until we begin i guess going back to some sort of bartering system you know comic for eggs something like that that goes back to um maslow's um hierarchy of needs so the hierarchy of needs is right you have your basis like every ladder is going up and at the bottom you have your essential goods food water power um and then at the top you have luxury goods that are unique to specific really really wealthy people also comics yeah so if you can figure out how to uh, appeal to both the essential goods and then also the really rich people who will still have money then you have the the business that explodes during this time which is we've seen like delivery basically delivery of basic needs is where all the money is going well, hopefully when it comes back, what will come back will be some of the shop local ideas. And if those are the first things, I think even you know, everything from luxury items to entertainment to everything will bounce back real quick at, if it's local. If the money leaves the local community entirely and people stay on their Amazon trip or whatever post shut-in, uh, we could be in for a much longer economic shut-in. Yeah, if China's back online today, but we're not back online for two months, then... China's all of a sudden a global economic leader. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I think that it's in some ways been really encouraging to see local, you know, delivery uh, options kind of pop up. And, you know, Walt won't plug this for himself, but I'll plug it for him. Walt started a company over the last couple of weeks called AgriConnect, which has been great. Um, I have been enjoying their freshly delivered uh, organic vegetables myself. Um, And, you know, it's amazing to have watched how quickly that's, grown you know just because literally we can't go anywhere nobody wants to go to the grocery store if you can avoid it and you know i've been taking advantage of that and then also you know instacart and i'm really grateful for you know the dude whose name is brandon who shops for us and i do hope that that kind of stuff uh continues you know especially like you know the reliance on small farms and stuff like that Uh, we we have one right now we are partnered with one big farm um we're at we add farms pretty much every week we're adding one tomorrow but we sold out of everything. Like, uh, I'm doing deliveries tomorrow all day. We don't have anything left. Like, she's like, she doesn't have to go to farmer's market because she sold everything that she had. That's really cool. If only, Pat, people could eat comics. <laughs> they could try. I was counting on it being the uh, toilet paper replacement for a while there, but... Why don't we segue a little bit and, and talk about uh, kind of the, the reason that we're in, which is an interesting one, uh, being San Luis Obispo County which has an interesting mix of strong support for Bernie, strong support for Trump. Um, Pat, we just had Bernie finally drop out of the race, paved the way for Joe Biden to be the Democratic nominee. I was actually surprised it didn't happen several weeks ago, but apparently there was some soul searching that needed to take place. Uh, that's fine. But given that, that you're, you're living in this, this area that, that has this sort of intersection of these two kind of populist uprising kind of groups that have very disparate... Um, ideas of how to execute against that um, and sort of a, I maybe say a, a norm core uh, democratic uh, can- candidate who's, who's going to kind of come up, who's been in this for, for a long time. What are you hearing kind of on the ground about how people are talking about this race? Are they thinking about it? Um, how engaged are the people that you talk to? 
I have a lot of buddies that are uh, pretty pretty hardcore on the Bernie side. Um, I have a lot of family and people I used to know that are pretty hardcore on the Trump side. Uh, <clears throat> not necessarily because of the Trump thing that I used to know them, but fits the pattern, if that makes any sense. I think the people who have come to politics uh, partly on the Bernie Sanders energy, on that rush, on that, that whole idea, uh, I think they're going to need a minute. They're going to have to mourn what they're losing here. They put a lot of energy and effort and belief and faith into this idea that Bernie was going to be the one and that he could do these things. The narrative that has been constructed uh, for a lot of those folks is that he is the only one that can do these things and the only one that is been steadfast for so long and has fought the machine as long as he has and is going to really make these changes happen. You just can't buy this guy. So they're going to need a minute to come around to the idea. I don't, I don't know for anybody who's realistically engaged in on politics, anybody who has any uh, wider view of it and the history of our politics, how they can look at the platform that Joe Biden's running on and not say, this is a good step. This is the right way to go as opposed to Trump. Uh, it just seems like madness to me to, to treat him like, I mean, you know, you said normal core and that's, that's pretty true, but also normal core is pretty far left from where it used to be. Um, completely further left than where Obama was much, much further left than where Clinton was. And I mean, even Carter wasn't, didn't have the things that Joe has in the current platform. Joe was not my first choice by a long shot. Uh, he wasn't even my fifth choice by a long shot, but pragmatism rules the day. And we have a president that is dismissing, you know, uh, inspector generals left and right, apparently, and ignoring subpoenas and everything else under the sun it seems like a simple equation to me. I don't understand how anybody won't get there, but the people that I know are pretty pissed right now. They're pretty upset. They blame the DNC, which, okay. Uh, and they're, they're angry. They're lashing out. And a lot of them are saying, well, I'm not going to vote. I'm not going to California. I don't care anyway. And that's, eh, I think a lot of them will come around. Most of them will come around. There's a couple people that never will. Your Chapel trap house folks. They're just, they're not, they are not here to play. So, and that's fine. Um, I don't think they were a gettable vote anyway. Well, and, you know, to be fair, like, you know, I, I voted for Bernie last time around. I've been inspired by Bernie. I think that Bernie's message is one that I like in general. I just also think that there's practical concerns. We've talked about that, you know, a bunch. But, um, you know, two things about this. First of all, I think that one of the more encouraging notes to Bernie, Bernie Sanders supporters in the midst of their mourning right now that I've seen um, was a thread and I, to be fair, I don't even remember who posted this, but it was talking about how, you know, revolutions obviously are not tied only to their leaders, right? You know, I mean, the civil rights movement is not tied only to Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, you know, the progressive movement and movement in America cannot only be tied to Bernie Sanders. Like if a movement is nothing more than, you know, the idolizing of, of one person the, and the movement dies when that person, you know, drops out of the primary or, you know, something like that, like, then that movement has no momentum to begin with. So the idea that that Bernie's gone sucks for these people in a lot of ways, I think. But at the same time, like the ideas continue to drive our national conversations. And the idea that you would just sort of give up and disengage from politics is the least revolutionary thing possible. And I think that, you know, like um, it, it's really frustrating to me to see people 
who consider themselves to be revolutionaries just sort of throw in the towel, you know, like right off the bat, be like, well, Bernie's it's just right now. Well, no, and I know, but what I was going to ask about that is, you know, one thing that worries me because I, you know, I am susceptible to fighting with people on Twitter occasionally. Uh, I, you know, waded into the into the the shallow pool of of you know Bernie Bro combat today a couple of times against my better judgment, uh, but you know, like I, I can never help but wonder, especially in the Twitterverse, which we all know is not real life, like how much of the acrimony between uh, you know those of us who are corporatist Democrat shills and Bernie bros, uh, how much of that is being driven by, you know, bots and all that kind of stuff. Like, uh, do we know people who really are not going to vote for Biden or at least at this point in their morning saying they're not going to vote? Like, what do you guys think about that? Absolutely. No, several people. Yeah. Real. I mean, like, but these are folks again, that have, they built a narrative up. The, the narrative was that the Democrats were the enemy, that the DNC was at the enemy, that as soon as that Bernie gets that nomination, man, it's all going to fall together because the entire country is just going to be like, yeah, this guy, he gets it. We've just been voting Republican because reasons. But now Bernie's there. We're gonna get, so they were convinced of this. That puts you in a position when you're telling yourself that story, when the story comes out and your guy loses, you're not viewing the larger fight. You're not thinking about even November, really, because in their heads, November's already lost. It's already done because there's no way, quote unquote, no way that Joe Biden or whomever else, it could have been, it would have been anybody. It could have been Elizabeth Warren. It could have been anybody. They would have said the same thing. There's no way that person can beat Trump. So they're already mourning the loss of November in a way because they're not, they didn't consider it. It doesn't matter to them. I think this is part of the problem with building your entire kind of campaign around populism. Um, which you know pits di- different groups against each other, and then puts you as as the individual who is the only one who can can is 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 the chosen one to be able to solve whatever the problem is. And you know, the, there's a commonality to some of the appeals that were made. I, I'm you know, as you were talking earlier, I was reminded of of in you know 2016 that that famous line, "I alone can fix it." You know, was was the the ultimate claim. And so you know, the, it, the pattern erupts of pitting people against each other. They're saying, I alone can fix the problem. And then when the problems don't get fixed, the, the, the next appeal is there's obstructionists getting in the way and we need to get the obstructionists out of the way so that I can continue our, to lead our revolution. And, and ultimately, you know, it, it, it puts uh, individual figures at, at the center of, of, of what should be ideas, you know, which, which are not sustainable, but also can be very destructive in, in, in the near term. I, I don't really understand it from my generation. Um, I'm, I, I, I work pretty hard. I'm pretty active just in general and solving problems, whatever that be. But the Bernie crowd that I, I see that, you know, they, you know, they're like, I hate Trump. Like I can never live with Trump again. Then the Bernie, you know, drops out and we all kind of saw that coming and they're like, Oh, like that's so sad. I'm not going to vote now. And um, it's really sad because, Bernie told you what he wants to happen and it's not, and it was never going to be that he could do it alone. It has to be every single person behind him. So you can still do what he wants to do. It just starts with you. I don't know, getting off your couch and, and making TikTok videos. It starts by, by doing something other than complaining about it, because I think it's so annoying. They just waste their time. And if they really want something to change in the country that you, you have to do something about it. You can't just complain about it. Well, and not only that, but I mean, 
that, that that statement that everyone was going to have to work together to make this happen is one of the, the one of the craziest things about everything that what Bernie wants to do, right? How I, I just don't see our political climate falling in line right now, like with Bernie, like Bernie convincing the Senate to, you know, like push through a Medicare for all proposal or something. I mean, it just yeah. like you look at the the absolute gridlock and obstructionism and disregard for, you know, the constitution and the rule of law or whatever, just fill in the blank with any disgusting thing you can think of right now. And then for some reason, you know, like Bernie Sanders is going to be the one who's going to walk in there with his, you know, rosy disposition and convince everyone to work together. Like that just doesn't make any sense to me. And it never has. Like in many ways, I feel like, the best hope for actually getting these things done is for more younger people who believe in progressive ideas to run for office and populate, you know, the house and the Senate and state governments, local governments and stuff like that with these progressive ideas that seems to work so much better. And yes, it's incremental. And I know that that's, you know, the poison word at this point, but like it makes so much more sense than just getting crazy you know grandpa bernie in there to yell at everybody until you know mitch mcconnell is like oh you're right you know we should pass medicare for all sorry i didn't think of that earlier you know i mean that doesn't make any sense i I think in general majority of people want these you know ethical and humanitarian aspects to what bernie was running on it's just getting there logistically is hundreds and hundreds of steps it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen in a four-year administration or an eight-year administration and it, I mean, they don't realize that Bernie starting to run like four years ago, that's when it, this whole movement really started to kick up. And it's going to take, you know, half a century to get there. It doesn't hit today doesn't matter in the big realm of things. If you want to get there, you know, it takes it takes getting a little bit farther tomorrow and then the next day and the next day. It doesn't happen overnight at all. I, mean, I actually think that it didn't start with Bernie's first uh, run there. I, I would put the Genesis back in the uh, Occupy Wall Street. Um, and the energy of that movie, I think, might have fired up people, uh, especially the people that were coming of age at that moment, to think differently about how they could engage with politics and how they could put their own voice out there and what actually mattered to them. And I think there's a lot of, I don't know how, uh, potential's a almost dismissive word for it, but I think there's a lot of energy still coalescing around little things and i don't i don't mean to be dismissive of bernie say he's a little thing but i'm saying there is a lot of hunger for that and when somebody who can actually harness that and actually point it in the right direction comes along or hopefully more accurately a coalition of people can uh i think that will be the ultimate end or or end result of the occupy wall street through the bernie sanders our revolution through the the justice democrats there's a line through all that that's pretty important but it, i don't think it's quite reached it's uh it's peak yet hey folks just a quick note the last few minutes of our pod had some technical difficulties and that probably stemmed from the fact that everyone in the world is trying to use zoom at the same time right now but we just want to apologize for a couple places where our voices got a little bit garbled here also just wanted to take a quick minute to say if you're interested in ordering something from pat our guest today or his store dr kane's comics and games you can find them on facebook um, a number of other places on the internet. Um, and I'm sure Pat would be happy to make some recommendations for some comic books or graphic novels to get you or your kids through these next few weeks when we're still staying at home. Um, so once again, thanks for listening. We're going to get back to the pod.
the last thing I'll say about uh, the idea of incrementalism, another way to look at it uh, is called de-risking. You know, there's a reason that things get ground to a halt and get, get examined, you know, ad nauseum with filibustering and, and debate is because you're making sweeping changes that are, that are being nationalized for the entire country. And one of the reasons that things get ground down to incremental change is because it also preserves the institutions that have been built, built before. So give me for being an apologist for institutionalism, but I'll, I'll hold, I'll, I'll, I'll stand for it. The institutions aren't holding up real good right now, unfortunately. I, I, I mean, maybe they are, but it, man, this has been a pretty wild ride the past couple it's, of. It's been a test, that's for sure. Um, we should probably wrap it up here. Uh, oh, we were going to play a game. Do we all do our fantasy ticket? I didn't really know what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can go at Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Oh, wow. Yay. Uh, fantasy ticket. There's a game that Brandon and I play uh, where you get to pick your dream president and VP ticket. And then you also get to pick your nightmare president and VP ticket. Um, and I don't know. I always find it kind of funny. So did we pick tickets? I picked some tickets. I picked a ticket or two. All right. Why don't we start with uh, our guest, Pat Hayes. Pat, what's, huh? your, uh, what's your fantasy ticket? Don't really have a good fantasy ticket because I don't really like politicians as individuals. I usually like. Uh, I, I know people say it's not a team sport. The reality is it's totally a team sport. It's entirely a team sport. It's how our government works. So I just tried to find two good people that I thought would be all right. Uh, Stacey Abrams, she's got it. She There's something there. Um, I didn't really understand the hype. I read a bunch of stuff about her. Until I heard her speak, and I was pretty into it. Uh, and then I think uh, Gavin's doing a good thing for himself. Cool. So you're going Abrams, Newsom, in that order? Yeah, hell yeah. Have you heard her speak? Yeah. Have you heard? She's pretty damn good. Yeah. And I mean, what a, you know, what a relief it is to hear someone who can actually speak after watching all these Trump press conferences, man, it's just unreal. Like how bad that man is at talking, not even communicating, just talking. All the world WHO today. I thought that was pretty funny. (laughs) The world WHO. That's great. Okay. Did you have a nightmare ticket, Pat? Trump Pence. No, I, this one was really hard. Um, for a moment, I thought that uh, uh, Steve King, Matt Gates would be the worst possible combination because uh, you got your racism and then just your general douchebaggery. But man, I, I was I was limiting myself by thinking of people who are currently in office. Once I expanded on that, I came up with a perfect ticket to end the world for realsies. So, Roy Moore, top ticket. Matt Bevan as his VP. Dude, that's amazing. More Bevan. No more Bevan. Ugh, no. Brando? Fantasy ticket. Air Force One, Harrison Ford, Independence Day, Bill Pullman. Yes. That's pretty good. Uh, all right, who's your nightmare ticket? Uh, Derek Hoskin and Manafort. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably running for something somewhere. Oh, I'm sure they are. I think it's Cell uh, Block 1 and 2. Do you think that... Uh, that after all of this is over, um, there will be enough cultural awareness of Russian oligarchs generally to start a spaghetti company called Deripasta. <laughs> I'm, I'm <You're> hoping. Fired. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. All right. My ticket. Um, I decided that I would go with, with Warren and Michelle Obama. Oh, that'd be a fun one. 
Why not? Sweater vests and school lunches. I, I did not vote for Warren uh, in the California primary, but I do have to say, like, during coronavirus, I, I feel like there's the, all these candidates that are so much stronger now than they were two months ago, right? Like, Yang is one of them. I mean, he's still kind of silly in some ways, but I like Yang a lot more now than I did before. And also, I feel like Elizabeth Warren, like, I would feel 100% better with Elizabeth Warren at the helm of this country right now, um, or probably any time, I guess, than Trump. But I, I feel like she's been really strong, especially if, you know, you follow her on Twitter and stuff like that and look at what she's saying. There's a great interview with her on um, Pod Save America the other day, for instance. If you guys didn't check that out, it was a really good interview. My nightmare ticket. Um, I was torn between two, to be fair. The first one was Gorka Yiannopoulos. <laughs> I feel like Isn't that yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, you know, nobody wants Milo Yiannopoulos to be president, but VP, I could see him filling that role. Uh, and the Dragon of Budapest will not stand to be VP, I'm sure. So, are you yeah. saying he's qualified? American? I was going to say, I think he's Hungarian. I'm not sure you can qualify. Oh, yeah. Well, Yanobolis is British, so. He's a Hungarian Nazi, not an American Nazi. Get it right, Sean. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and then, uh, oh, yeah, he's, I guess he'll have to run to replace Viktor Orban if there's ever another Hungarian election. <laughs> Spoiler alert, there won't be. Not for quite some time. I think that's our pod. I got I to gotta get my ticket. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. What's your ticket? Yang and then Bill Gates. Yang Gates! I think that would be pretty cool. Bill Gates doesn't like politics, but I think he's so smart knows what's going on more than anybody else. He's funding like all the vaccines. Um, but then for the bad, the nightmare, it would be um, Trump, Hannity. Yeah. Fair enough. I think. Isn't that actually the way that it is already? <laughs> <laughs> for a while, I was suggesting that Trump and Bernie should run together in 2020. There would be a lot of infrastructure. <laughs> infrastructure week every week. Anyway, thank you, Patrick Hayes of Dr. Kane's Comics and Games for joining us today and talking about your experiences as a uh, small business owner in Central California and how you're dealing with the COVID outbreak. Thanks, Walt. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. Any last words? Buy comics. Buy comics.